This program is brought to you by PersonalLifeMedia.com. Hi, and welcome to Green Talk, a podcast series from GreenLivingIdeas.com. Green Talk helps listeners in their efforts to lead more eco-friendly lifestyles through interviews with top vendors, authors, and experts from around the world. We discuss the critical issues facing the global environment today, as well as the technologies, products, and practices that you can employ to go greener in every area of your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Green Talk Radio. I'm your host, Sean Daly. Today's episode is the latest installment in our Green Blogger series, where we interview the most influential bloggers in the Lojas industry. My guest today is Star Vartan. Star is a green living and environmental writer and expert, a self-described eco-fashionista, and the editor-in-chief of the highly popular green blog, ecochick.com, which she founded in 2005 to give women who care about the planet a place of their own on the web. In addition to her writing on EcoChick, she also contributes to a number of other blogs and publications, including the Huffington Post, Audubon Magazine, Plenty Magazine, TheDailyGreen.com, and she's also guest blogged for L.com. Her first book, The EcoChick Guide to Life, How to Be Fabulously Green, just recently debuted. EcoChick and Star have been featured in Glamour, Men's Journal, ABC and Fox TV, The CW, The Wall Street Journal, USA Today, and others. Star, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. And congratulations on all the success, both for you and for EcoChick. Thanks. Yeah, it's been quite a whirlwind since green has become uh, more of a touchstone for for a larger group of folks in the last you know year or two. Yeah, and you were definitely there early on. I mean, a lot of people recognize your blog as being one of the ones that was out there. I mean, like like Tree Hugger, pretty much from the beginning, or when it you know really got onto people's uh, radar screens for the first time. So I'm I'm curious just to go back and hear about the story of Star as well as EcoChick. Maybe you can just start by telling us, I guess, really from the beginning, how did you get started with the green movement and the Lojas industry? What what really inspired you to start all this? Well, um, going way back, I was pretty much born into a very environmentally oriented family. Um, My father is an avid, avid surfer who lives in Australia, and my uncle is an arborist. And um, I was raised by my grandmother in New York's Hudson Valley, a really, really special and beautiful area of the world. And I was basically let loose in the woods all day, every day, um, growing up and hanging out in the swamps and you know, tracking animals and just having a grand old time. Uh, And we also, um, in my home, we had an organic garden and we didn't use any um, toxic products or um, flush anything naughty down the drain because we lived right next to a wetland. And it's actually a place now where you wouldn't be able to build a house, um, you know, due to new restrictions. But um, my grandmother was always very conscious of the fact that everything we used and put down the drain Um, and put on our lawn, would go into this wetland, and, you know, she was a member of the Audubon Society and was really conscious about birds and wildlife. And so she raised me with this awareness that, you know, we're part of this local ecosystem. And so that never left me. And it wasn't even something that I thought was unique to my growing up because the town I grew up in was filled with a lot of really creative people who moved um, out of New York City to be in a place that was more natural. And so um, there was a lot of, you know, vegetarian food and sort of 70s hippie 
open progressivism um, endemic to my community. So it was a really fantastic place to grow up, and my grandmother was incredibly knowledgeable and shared everything she knew with me. And so um, I became a part of that. I couldn't help it, really. <laughs> so I went from there to I thought I wanted to be a scientist, and I did geology and biology and all these other sciences in college and worked as an environmental scientist and decided it was not for me. I wanted to do something more creative. And that's how I got into writing about science because I had this great, you know, BS um, background, Bachelor of Sciences. And so um, I worked from there and I started writing for E, the environmental magazine. And I started blogging for my friend's site. I was actually a political blogger. I was the only girl on the team in 2002, the site called Jake Neck. And um, it was really interesting. I was so I was so in love with the web and the internet, um, and you know there were so few women's voices there. It was really frustrating for me. I always felt like I was representing women, and I felt like a lot of women were intimidated by um, the early earlier days of the internet. And so after I left um, the job where I had a friend who is now my webmaster, Dan Saradsky, um, who started Jake Neck and moved on, I figured you know I saw Tree Hugger happening. I saw all these exciting sites coming up in, you know, early, late 2004, early 2005. And I thought, this is so great, but there's still not a lot of women. And, you know, I felt like it was so dominated by guys. And girls were like, you know, we don't really feel like a lot of this information applies to us. So I said, all right, I'm comfortable with doing this kind of work. And I love online stuff and I want to get women involved. So that's how I started my site. And my friend Dan built it for me on WordPress. And, um, you know, it, we set it up in a day, and I went from there, and um, it's just grown into its own little sort of subculture. And now, of course, there's lots of other great women's-oriented blogs and fashion blogs and, like, every little, you know, niche you can find, and women are um, more and more comfortable and actually becoming a larger percentage, percentage of, I think, the audience for green living and, you know, shopping and all that fun stuff. So I think I was part of the uh, successful movement of women being comfortable on the web and also um, having content that is actually applicable to their lives. Yeah, definitely. Well, and it's been interesting too. I mean, that, that's quite a story and, and, and quite a background you have. Um, but it's also interesting with some of the recent acquisitions that have happened in this space. You know, we've got Ideal Byte, you know, 20 uh, million to Disney uh, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, is that uh, is that something that kind of makes you sit up and take notice, or does it not really get on your radar screen? No, I definitely took notice, and I was really kind of bummed to hear that um, Treehugger hadn't gotten more after Ideal Bite got twenty million, and uh, yeah, they got for fifteen. I was for like, fifteen, oh. yeah, that was strange. I, mean, I I just I love Graham Hill. I'm you know sort of uh, long distance friends with him, um, who started Treehugger. And, you know, I know he is so dedicated. The most amazing thing about all of this is that, you know, from the Ideal Bite ladies to Graham um, to all the other green bloggers I work with every day, there is such a sense of real dedication to this. I think now in the last six months we've seen a lot of interest and people who are, you know, trying to maybe make a buck um, in this area, but it's certainly the strong foundation comes from all these people who are doing this because they really care and they're, trying to figure out how we can get this message to everyone because we have to include everyone in solving, you know, the climate crisis and the endangered species issues and all the other environmental, um, 
you know, issues that people are realizing are incredibly important to the future survival of, of us and, and the rest of the animals and, and life on the planet. Yeah, and I suppose one of the things that might be difficult for people out there who are, are you know, coming upon these blogs, in some cases maybe for the first time, is to kind of know, you know, separate wheat from chaff in terms of the people that are just trying to make a buck versus those that are you know, really just really truly educating from an unbiased point of view. That, that's got to be somewhat challenging, I imagine. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that really wasn't the case even a year ago, and now it has become definitely a challenge. Um, but, you know, that's part of what happens when things go mainstream, and we're never going to solve the problems that we have right now until we do go mainstream. So we're going to just have to keep going and, you know, rise to these new challenges of, you know, authenticity and transparency and, you know, all of, all of that so that people can trust this information that's coming about. And there's, there's so much information that is coming out about all of these topics. And, you know, wow, I can't imagine jumping into this now. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm always trying to keep in mind how, you know, somebody who just hears like, hey, you know, the, this environmental thing is really important. I just saw Inconvenient Truth or I just saw King Corn and all of a sudden, you know, I've been going to my local farmer's market and I'm realizing that all these issues are really important. You know, how do I learn more? And there's just a, almost a deluge of information out there. And it's sort of, I, I would imagine, very challenging for the average person to figure out where to go for, for good info. Yeah, it's, it's true. It's funny because I come from, originally come from the technology industry. And I thought that that was always drinking from the fire hose. And so sort of moving over into the environmental movement, um, you know, I took those skills and that interest. But, you know, I always thought, well, this, this will be a lot simpler than what I dealt with in technology. <laughs> Little <laughs> did I know, you know, I'd be drinking from a much larger fire hose that's much more comprehensive that affects every area of life, not just technology. So uh, that, that's only a subtopic under, underneath of uh, environmentalism and ecology. And so, yeah, no, that's true. Well, I have a, a lot of other questions for you, but we're going to take a quick break and then we will be back. We are talking today with Star Vartan, and she is a green living and environmental writer and expert and the founder of eco-chick.com. And we'll be right back on Green Talk Radio. Thanks, everyone. Listen to Living Green, Effortless Ecology for Everyday People, a weekly online audio program featuring champions of sustainable living at personallifemedia.com. Hey, everybody. We're back. This is Sean Daly talking today with Star Vartan, who's the founder and editor-in-chief of eco-chick.com and the author of the recently published book, The Eco-Chick Guide to Life, How to Be Fabulously Green. And we were talking before the break about, Star, about your background and, and how you got into this and how you started Eco-Chick and why. And, and I'm just curious, in trying to bring this information that you gathered in your upbringing uh, sort of forward to the folks, the, to the masses, um, is this an uphill battle for you at times to do this? I think that um, for... For me to present information to people um, has become a little bit more complicated, as we were just talking about. I think that this the environmental thinking is is just that. It's a whole concept of thinking about a number of issues from scientific to personal, um, you know, looking at evidence, science-based evidence, and then also figuring out what actually works in people's lives. It's sort of creative, creative and science brought together, um, which I think can be really challenging. But because of the fact that it has become such a large market and people are so excited about it, um, which has obviously has its uh, negative sides too, as we discussed, there's, it's also become so much easier to be environmentally 
um, aware and also contribute in a positive way through your purchases and through your behaviors. Because A, there's tons of great information about out there. You know, if you want to know how to reduce your gas consumption on your commute every morning, there's at least 15 great articles that will tell you everything from how to get your car in tip-top shape so that it uses less fuel to carpooling, to van pooling, to walking maps on Google, to, you know, everything in between. So the resources are absolutely there and the products are there too. So if I decide I don't want to buy any non-conventional cotton, I mean conventional cotton anymore, I only want to buy organic cotton because I read an article about how incredibly destructive the cotton industry is with contributing so many pesticides and toxic chemicals to water supplies around the world. Now, I would be absolutely able to clothe myself and my family completely in organic cotton if I wanted to. There's jeans, there's t-shirts, there's beautiful dresses for work, there's coats and trench coats and, um, you know, jean jackets, everything you could possibly want, uh, sweatpants, yoga gear in natural and sustainable fabrics. Um, same thing with cleaning products. You now don't have to just choose between seventh generation and method. There's Caldera and Mrs. Myers and even Greenworks from Clorox. I mean, there's so much choice and availability of all of these items in big box stores and your regular supermarket. So I think it's become much, much easier to be green um, without having to spend all your time online doing research and, um, you know, sort of it becoming some sort of weird hobby rather than just, you know, an easy purchasing decision when you're standing in the, in the supermarket or the drugstore. And I'm glad you mentioned that too, because the the products that you mentioned uh, really kind of lead into my next question, which is it's very apparent in reading your book that you've done your homework about the companies and products you're talking about, and and in general that you're just trying to focus on the companies that are really green and not greenwashers as we all are. How important do you think authenticity? You mentioned that. How important do you think authenticity is in this space? And you know, do you do you think that consumers are learning to make sure that the brands are walking the walk in addition to talking their talk, or are most of these companies still getting people to believe that you know whatever the green marketing hype is that their departments are throwing out there? Well, I think there's two levels of sort of greenwashing that go on. One is straight up greenwashing, where a company like um, I don't know, like Nestle. Who, does, who produces Poland Spring water tries to paint their water as green now because they, their bottles use 30% less plastic, which is, you know, great and all, but, like, that doesn't address the basic problem of recycling the containers, which, you know, only 70, you know, 30% of plastic bottles get recycled. It doesn't address the problem of taking groundwater from local, you know, water supplies and then shipping it all over the place using fossil fuels, blah, blah, blah. So, right, right. That's not a very big step. I mean, I think it would be hard to agree that that's a very bold, uh, you know, or courageous move to take 30% versus, say, something that's more wholesale and inspiring. Exactly. I think, you know, that's a classic example of what's the very minimum that we can do while still, um, you know, maintaining our image as, you know, being green. Um, and I just think it's nonsense. I mean, Fiji water is doing the same thing. And, you know, they're trying to, you know, they're, they've offset all their carbon now, you know, blah, blah, blah. You're still shipping water from Fiji. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but that being said, I think there's also companies that are genuinely trying to make transitions. And, you know, I'm on the I'm not making any decisive opinions yet, but I have seen, you know, some big companies make mistakes, try to correct them genuinely, you know, move their corporations in different directions 
And here I'm thinking about, you know, Clorox. Um, I gave them a really, really hard time when I talked to their PR people about their green work flying. So I was like, this is great. I'm so happy that there's a product that is so accessible and, and, you know, works just like all your regular cleaning products would. So that for the person who'd be absolutely terrified of using a natural product that won't work as well, you know, maybe could use theirs and would feel very safe and secure. So, that, you know, you have to have these transitional products. But, you know, I gave Clorox a hard time because I said, you know, you still produce very toxic chemicals in all your other lines, things that are going down the drain every day in America. And how are you going to work on that? And, and introducing a green line when green is really cool is, you know, obviously just a monetary move for you guys. And they said, look, you know, we're reformulating all of our products. We're trying to mitigate, you know, the environmental impact of everything we do. But, you know, we're talking about reformulating things. This takes time, et cetera. So, I'm going to keep my eye on them and see if they live up to that because from what I, I would say that they were greenwashing now, except that, you know, I spoke with them and they gave me this line about how it takes time. And, you know, I've seen how long it can take a company to shift from one direction to another. We're talking about, you know, thousands of employees, R&D, et cetera. But, you know, if they've told me that and in a year or two, I haven't seen any movement on that, then you know, I'll know it's nonsense. So, you know, it, it's, it's a little bit hard because we're asking for a lot of change very quickly from these companies. And I think a lot of them are actually trying really, really hard. And they're, they're trying to get there. I mean, I, they should have been doing this stuff already, but, you know, better late than never. First of all, I just want to say that I'm glad that, you know, you and, and other people in this industry are serving in a watchdog function in, in the way that you described because it's it, one of the problems with this industry is that it's highly unregulated and there are very few outside of, you know, organizations like the FSC that, that are, you know, monitoring the, uh, you know, stewardship of, of forests and such for, for wood-based products. We don't have that in every sector of this industry. So it's very difficult, I think, for the average consumer to really assess, again, the greenness of these companies, you know, back to the authenticity issue. And you mentioned Clorox and, you know, companies like Clorox are difficult to gauge uh, because they're conglomerate, you know, multi-company organizations that, you know, in some cases will acquire a company like, for example, Burt's Bees in the case of Clorox, which was, you know, is a great company, but now it's swallowed up into the, the, the overall, uh, you know, multiplex of Clorox. And then, so how do we then evaluate both Burt's Bees, the former brand, as well as Clorox with the, you know what I mean? It becomes very difficult to sort of, you can't just sort of paint with a broad brushstroke. Uh, well, I think that um, the important thing to think about, you know, I've heard a lot of arguments on both sides. And the one that I think has relevance, but that we need to keep our eye on, it sort of goes back to the last point I was making, is that, okay, so there's the possibility for Burt's Bees to then, um, some of their practices and the way they do business when they're absorbed into Clorox to be you know, taken up by the company as a whole. And so that can be the advantage of a large company buying a company like Burt's Bees that was incredibly successful. If it's just an acquisition, then that's problematic and, you know, really disappointing for people who are fans of Burt's Bees, like I was, have been for a long time. If, however, that company really genuinely does take the information that, you know, Burt's Bees has gained over the last you know, 10 years and applies it to the rest of their company, that could be a real boon. So the, the, what we, you know, what's imperative for us to do is to keep an eye on these companies. And if they're going to say, hey, we're going to buy these people and, you know, we're working towards these things, you know, we've got to keep checking up on them. We've got to keep up on their backs to make sure that they're following through with that. And if they do, then it can be a really positive thing. If they don't, then it's greenwashing.
Well, we're going to take a, uh, our last break, and then we'll be right back with Star Vitan. She is the principal blogger at eco-chick.com. We'll be right back on Green Talk Radio. Listen to Living Green, effortless ecology for everyday people, a weekly online audio program featuring champions of sustainable living at personallifemedia.com. Hey, everybody. We're back on Green Talk Radio. This is Sean Daly talking today with Star Vartan, who is the founder and editor-in-chief of EcoChick.com, which is eco-chick.com, and author of the recently published book, The EcoChick Guide to Life, How to Be Fabulously Green. Star, we were talking uh, before the break uh, about the industry, the Lojas industry and, and green companies and uh, green washers and, and all of that stuff. And I, I just am curious, too, to step back from that a little bit and talk about um, – well, actually, I'd like to talk about the book um, and, and ask you some questions about that. You, you uh, delve into three distinct areas within the book, uh, three distinct areas of focus, which are, as you put it in the book, you, know, you your nest, and the world. Is, is there one particular area that you're most passionate about of those three? And if so, why? Um, actually I'm, it depends on the day. (laughs) Some days I'm a real, um, homebody and I love, um, sewing and gardening and hanging out with my animals. And I'm really, you know, into repainting rooms using low VOC paints. I love color and, and all that fun stuff. Um, figuring out ways I can make my home both beautiful and really, you know, sustainable and not using a lot of new materials, um, when I make changes. And then other days I'm, you know, trying on a million different outfits and, you know, fussing with hair and makeup. And then, you know, other days I couldn't care less about either of those things. And I throw everything in a bag and I head out on, on vacation slash trips. I take my laptop with me everywhere and my iPhone. And so I can pretty much work anywhere. And so I spend a lot of time in Vermont and the Catskills and um, basically anywhere my friends live that I'll stay for a little while. So I really, you know, I've also done a lot of international traveling, um, so I really am all three of those things at the same time. Um, just it depends on the day or the, or the week, I guess. <laughs> um, well, so, you know, and also another thing we always like to do on this show is to get direct specific tips from our guests, our, our, especially our expert guests um, that, that our listeners can put into direct and immediate use, you know, in their lives and trying to go green. So I just wanted to ask you about maybe if you could share with our listeners your top three suggestions for, for women that are looking to green their lifestyles. Sure. Um, I would say the first thing is with all your um, personal products, um, anything that you use in the shower, um, a really easy, fast way to go green, both um, for yourself and then for the environment, is um, choosing um, natural products like, um, like you know, Burt's Bees, as we mentioned earlier, um, Aveda. There's some, you know, bigger names and then there's some smaller names. Um, you might want to do a little bit of research about um, on the, the cosmetic safety database um, about, you know, which things, which chemicals you might want to avoid. Some people are more, have more sensitive skin than others. Um, but a really great first stop is just um, going for organic or natural products um, in the shower. And so that way you're not exposing your body to toxins and you're also not washing those down the drain, which gets into our water supply, which, you know, you either end up swimming in or drinking eventually, or someone does. Um, the second area is um, reducing your carbon footprint in really simple ways, replacing your um, light bulbs. You know, we've all heard about that. Um, 
And a big one is actually reducing plastics. And that has a lot of – plastic production, distribution, and um, disposal uses a lot of energy and a lot of chemicals. And so I've been deplasticizing my life recently. And by, by that, it's, you know, the, the obvious, which is get those plastic bags from the grocery store out and, you know, use your uh, reusable bags which is, you know, a no-brainer. But then the next thing is, you know, all that Tupperware, all those to-go containers, um, you know, recycling those where you can. Oftentimes in your local community, you can go to the recycling area and they will recycle more different types of plastic um, so that you can get those out or you can, um, you know, use them for things that don't contain food as storage devices and then start um, using glass or aluminum, you know, water bottles um, that are reusable, um, either aluminum or stainless steel. Um, all of those are ways to get plastic out of your life, um, which is a, another big one. So personal care products and plastic um, will, are both like really fun, easy ways to start and can make a, a pretty, pretty big difference, both for your health and then also the planet. And then lastly, um, I always just like to advocate this because people don't realize that um, clothing production actually has a huge environmental footprint, um, mostly due to production of fabrics. And then the second part is the shipping back and forth of so many clothes. So like, let's say you buy a t-shirt at the Gap, oftentimes it's been cotton's been grown in one country where it's terribly polluting and then it's shipped to another country to be dyed and then it's shipped back to the first country to be sewn up and then it's shipped to another country to get the label put on and then it's shipped to the distribution center and it's shipped to the store. So you're talking a huge carbon footprint for a lot of clothes. So looking for environmentally friendly clothing that's made in, you know, either your local area or is at least has um, uh, is made in the United States is a good way to go. Or if you're on the East Coast, actually getting products from the UK is has about the equivalent carbon footprint as getting stuff from California. So sometimes um, East Coast shoppers can look for great ethical stuff in the UK, which it, it, there's so much going on there. Um, so those are three sort of fun ways to you know reduce your, your environmental footprint. Well, that's great. That's great information and great tips, and I really appreciate you sharing those with our audience. Uh, also, uh, this is really our, our last question because unfortunately we're, we're out of time, but I wanted to just ask you, so after all the success that you've experienced here, both the, yourself and, and, and the EcoChick site, I'm just curious, what's next for, for both you and the EcoChick blog? Well, I'm going to definitely keep the blog going. Um, we're redesigning now, so it'll have a gorgeous new look uh, very shortly. And, um, you know, we'll see what happens with the book. Hopefully people will enjoy it and utilize it. And um, I think, you know, there, that once people get past the next, you know, six, eight months or so, uh, I think there's gonna, there has been already starting and there will be a hunger for, okay, I've changed my light bulbs, I'm using my bags, I'm um, doing, you know, using a low flow shower head, I've gotten my energy efficient um, everything, and now what? And so I think there's going to be sort of the next level of, you know, being green beyond, you know, the basic stuff that everybody's really latched onto. Um, and personally, I'm also writing a book, um, was just at Columbia, uh, finishing up my MFA and, um, in nonfiction writing. And it's on, um, the four uh, the five senses and how modernization and mechanization have sort of detached us from the natural world. Um, so it's not really, it's somewhat of an environmental book. It's also looking at the five senses and how we respond, um, differently or, um, fool our senses in this sort of new modern era, which, 
you know, basically we lived very similarly as human beings up until about 50, 60 years ago. And now a lot of that has changed very quickly and, and how we're responding and dealing with that. So it's a little bit more sciencey, a little bit more in depth um, in terms of analyzing culture than my, my eco chick guidebook was. Cool. Well, and it's interesting. Something that you said made me think too is that it's interesting in, in a way. There's an irony in that technology. We're using technology as the medium to deliver this, but in some ways, technology takes us away from things from nature and from natural sort of human interaction. So I always sort of wrestle with that. Uh, it's, it's just me an, too. It's an inherent <laughs> irony. Yes. Well, uh, and I just want to say for uh, all of those for those of you listening in today that are looking for more information on this topic, we certainly recommend that you check out StarsEco-Chick.com website and also the articles and other podcasts found on the greenlivingideas.com website, including those under the fashion and beauty topic, among others, uh, which is accessible from the site's topic menu. And also, if you're into social networking, you can find today's guest, Star Vartan, on Twitter as EcoChicky, and myself as Sean Daly, S-E-A-N-D-A-I-L-Y, and I should mention that EcoChicky is with an I-E at the end. Uh, or you can also follow greenlivingideas.com as greenlivingidea, because they didn't have enough letters for greenlivingideas. <laughs> on twitter.com and there's also links to other social networking sites at the top right hand side of the greenlivingideas.com site so I want to lastly thank all of you out there for listening in today and supporting the show you're truly the reason that we do the show week after week and we always welcome your feedback and suggestions this is Sean Daly and we'll see you next time on Green Talk Radio Star thanks again for being with us thank you Thanks as always to everyone listening in today. Remember, for more free on-demand podcasts, articles, videos, and other information related to living a greener lifestyle, visit our website at www.greenlivingideas.com. We'd also love to hear your comments, feedback, and questions. Send us an email at editors at greenlivingideas.com. Find more great shows like this on personallifemedia.com.